This is Foothill Family Church. With Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Paul talks about his own struggle in Romans chapter 7. He talks about not being able to, at least in his opinion, it seemed to him that he was unable to control what his body wanted to do. He said, from the inside, I'm delighting in the law of God after the inward man. My spirit always wants to do the right thing. But I see another law working in my body, drawing me into sin, bringing me to the place where I'm doing things that I don't want to do and not doing things that I, the man on the inside, wants to do. He comes to the conclusion, I don't have any power over this. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Well, his answer is Jesus. He found that the answer was in Jesus. He's, he then tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But where is this struggle? Where is this struggle? Folks, the struggle is always for the will. It's always for the will. So what does the devil do? The devil uses every tool in his, in his arsenal to influence our will. The struggle against sin, the struggle against the enemy, the struggle against wrong is a struggle for the will because the spirit doesn't have a vote. It, there's no decision-making or will-determining factor to the spirit. That's not the way God made us. The same thing's true of the body. The body can't decide. Now, both the spirit and the body can influence the soul, but it still comes down to the decision. The decision-maker the determining factor is the soul. That's where the will of man is. So all the time that Paul's spirit was trying to influence him to do the right thing in Romans chapter 7, or as his experience is described in Romans chapter 7, his spirit's trying to influence him to do the right thing, but his body's trying to influence him to do the wrong thing. Where is it that Paul lacks strength in his soul? See, so much of the Christian world thinks that, oh, we need to pray for more spiritual strength. You couldn't handle any more spiritual strength because the Bible says you've got the fullness of Jesus on the inside of you. There isn't anything more. Well, then why don't we operate in that spiritual strength, Pastor Mike? Because of the soul. Because we haven't done the work of the soul that we need to. That's the thing that Paul made the difference in or uh, made a discovery the discoveries that he made caused him to make the difference in his life that brought him out of defeat into victory. Because at the time Paul is writing this, explaining to us in Romans chapter 7, this was my struggle. He tells us this is what I discovered and this is what brought me into victory. He found out that the strength was already in the inside of him all the time. All he had to do was walk in the Spirit. Now what does that mean? You know as well as I do, the Bible says, both Old Testament and New Testament, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, faith is of the heart, isn't it? Faith is a spiritual force. For with the heart, man believes under righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. Romans chapter 10 tells us. So faith is a spiritual force. It's a product of the heart or the spirit of man. So he says, the scripture instructs us or encourages us to walk by faith, walk from our spirits 
and not by sight. Now, what does it mean by sight? In other words, it's talking about don't be influenced by the things that you see. Don't be influenced by the natural circumstances. Don't be influenced by this natural realm. Now, how does the devil try to influence us through circumstance? He brings situations to us to affect our thoughts because he's trying to influence us in how to determine our will. He can't do it for us. He can't decide for us. The devil is after your will. As born-again, spirit-filled Christians, he's still after our will. Now, turn with me to to, uh, Luke chapter 16. I want to show you a, a story, relate a story to you or remind you of a story that Jesus told us about spiritual things and how they work. And I want you to see the condition of the man that Jesus talks about. I'm going to start reading in verse 19, Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain man. Now, Jesus tells you right off the bat, this cannot be a parable. Because you'd never use the word certain in a parable because a parable is one thing that stands for or represents something else. The fact that he says there's a certain man tells us that he's talking about a real life or maybe we should say an afterlife experience, real person, something that really happened to a real person. So he's not using some kind of illustration. He's not using an allegory. He's telling us this really happened so we can learn from it. There was a certain man, certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar, real guy, named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Notice they didn't stop living after they died physically. They didn't cease existing. See, man thinks of death from a natural standpoint. We think of uh, death as being the cessation of existence, and that's never the case. Death, for both the Christian and the, the saved and the unsaved, means a change of location. That's it. Nothing ends except our physical bodies and our time in our physical bodies. But the real you still continues to live on. You were made in the image of God. Every person was. Saved and unsaved, every person was made in the image of God. And God is an eternal spirit. Man is an eternal spirit who lives in a body for a period of time. So the rich man died and was carried. Or the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham... Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now notice something about this rich guy even after he dies. He's used to giving people orders and having people serve him and now after he's he's dead, he's still looking for the same thing. But Abraham said, Son, remember. So he must be able to remember. Remembering is a function of the mind, isn't it? Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. 
Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him, or let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he, Abraham, said back to him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now notice that Jesus is telling us what things are like at that point in time after the physical life was over. Now things have changed a bit because there is no Abraham's bosom anymore. Abraham's bosom was just a a holding place in the upper part of, of hell, literally. Because man was not able to stand in the presence of God because Jesus had not yet been crucified and raised from the dead. The Bible says that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he led captivity captive. In other words, he went into Abraham's bosom, took all these people that were there and carried them with him into heaven. So things are a little bit different now. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is no holding place. For the Christian, for the believer, you go directly into the presence of the Lord. In this case, at that point in time, because Jesus hadn't yet been to the cross and raised from the dead, at that point in time, there was a holding place called Abraham's bosom. They were in the presence of Abraham and the Old Testament saints, not the presence of the Lord or the presence of God. So things have changed a little bit, but the principle is still the same. And that is, notice that the rich man who represents the unsaved still exists. He was carried into hell. He was in hell. He was in torment. He asked Abraham, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and kill my tongue. He's still there. And notice that his soulish faculties are still in place. His emotions are there because he recognizes the torment of hell. So even though he doesn't have his body, his physical body was buried... His emotions are still intact. Notice his mental faculties, intellectual capabilities are still intact. Abraham says, son, remember. Remember things in your lifetime. He remembered his family, remembered his five brothers and sisters. But more importantly, his will is still intact. Notice how his will has changed concerning his brothers. Notice how his will has changed concerning things that are important here on the earth. He's all of a sudden concerned about his brothers that they not come to hell. Well, why wasn't he concerned about that when he was alive? He wasn't concerned about that for himself, much less his brothers. But he sure doesn't want his brothers to come, does he? Doesn't that represent his will? Doesn't that show his will in action? So please notice that even though the body, the man's three parts, he is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. The body is buried. It's in the earth. Notice his spirit and soul are both intact. The eternal part of him and his mind and his will and his emotions are still intact. What does that tell us? That tells us that man is a spirit being and has a body just like your body has a head. Your spirit has a head, meaning the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions. You carry it with you. Now, what is the difference between the spirit and the soul? Well, we need to understand the difference between the spirit and the understanding. Most everybody's familiar with the scripture over in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord bears witness with your heart, your spirit. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. 
healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross and on the cross Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Notice Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, talking about being filled with the Spirit and speak with other tongues. He said, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, who's praying? He is. Is he talking about his body? No, he's talking about the real him, the man on the inside, his spirit. He said, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is he talking about his understanding? That would be his intellectual capabilities, wouldn't it? Now, does he mean they're not operative? Does he mean he goes stupid? No, his faculties, his intellectual capabilities and his faculties are still operational. They just don't function when you pray in tongues. I was reading the other day about a study that was done within the last couple of months about how they've uh, studied people that uh, speak with other tongues and wire them up, wire their heads up to check their brain activity when they're speaking in other tongues. And they found that the speech center is operative but not the decision-making part of the brain. And they can't come up with any other activity, simulate any other activity that separates those two parts of the brain. Isn't that fascinating? They've got a study that proves out the Bible. Who would have thought? It's exactly what Paul said. My spirit, Amplified says in 1 Corinthians 14, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. It's me, my spirit that's doing the praying, using my body, using my vocal cords, using my speech capabilities to pray. But it's me on the inside praying with the utterance given by the Holy Ghost. It bypasses my soul altogether. Which is one great benefit of praying in tongues. It's a way to learn to trust in the Lord with all your understanding or with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Your head is so used to being in control, it doesn't like taking a back seat. So it's good to train it that way. It's good to let it know it's not in charge. For if I pray, I, the man on the inside, if I pray, Remember, that's the same thing Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 1 where he said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. I, the man on the inside. He's talking about the same I. Paul always differentiated between himself and his body, or if he didn't, he told us what he was talking about. For example, he said, I keep my body under and bring it under subjection. Well, who does? The man on the inside. 
In other words, he's saying, I'm doing the same thing I'm encouraging you to do by presenting my body as a living sacrifice. I keep my body under. I've learned to let my spirit influence my decision-making and my will. I, the man on the inside, has chosen, have chosen to do so. I keep my body under. Lest after I preach to others, I myself might be a castaway. Isn't it interesting that a man as spiritual as Paul had to deal with his body? Most people have the idea, it seems to me at least from my experience in working with people, it seems to me most people think that if they just grow in God enough, just walk with God long enough, you won't ever have any trouble with your body. Well, if that's the case, Paul never arrived. The man that had the revelation that gave us two-thirds of the New Testament never got spiritual enough to never have to deal with his body. You're always going to have to deal with your flesh. You're always going to be influenced by your flesh to make the wrong decisions. Because remember, the fight, the conflict is always for the will. What will you do? It always comes down to the will, folks. It always does. No matter what the situation, no matter how severe, no matter how long it's been, whether it's a light case or a most extreme case, it always comes down to the same thing, and that is the operation of the will. That's what's so wrong about the sovereignty of God doctrine in the church. That everything that happens is because of the will of God. Folks, that's not the way it works. But if the devil can keep you thinking that, if he can deceive you and keep you thinking that, then he can keep you from renewing your mind to the word to prove the good and acceptable will of God. He's got a pretty good racket going, don't you think? He influences you to listen to your flesh and then Let's blame it on the sovereignty of God. No, in fact, the Bible says God made you sovereign in your life. He gives you the means whereby to walk in victory and to make the right choices. But you're the one that makes the choice. That's why Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. He didn't say, whosoever God wills, let him come. If Jesus had said, whosoever God will, will come, then everybody would come. Because the Bible says it's the will of God for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So it can't be up to him. He's already done his part. It always comes down to the will of man. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, my spirit prayeth, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding, my intellect, is unfruitful. It's unfruitful. Why? Because the words coming out of your mouth don't go through your mind. That means some words will go through our mind and will make our understanding fruitful. And some words spoken by the Holy Ghost, the utterance of the Holy Ghost, will make our minds unfruitful. What is Paul saying, therefore, in Romans chapter 12? He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying, use the word of God to make your understanding fruitful. How do we do that? Well, he calls it the renewing of the mind. If you look back at the the roots of those Greek words that he uses, it literally means reversal by repetition. Reversal by repetition. The renewing of the mind is the reversal of the mind's normal way of thinking in line with the spirit of the world, which is governed by the enemy, the devil. Reversing that way of thinking by repetition, by saying it to yourself over and over again. You know what's interesting about that is James, uh, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 says that saying the word of God over and over again is the way you meditate in the word and make it a part of your heart. 
It's almost like Paul knew what Joshua said. It's amazing how these things coincidentally fit together. Of course, there is no coincidence. It's all the instruction of the Holy Ghost. It's been the plan of God and the pattern of God and the principles of God from the very beginning. They can come around with some new doctrine or some new wave of teaching, like some preachers out there say. Well, this is a new doctrine. Well, new if you consider Joshua chapter 1 days new. It's the same instruction God gave Joshua to be successful as the leader of the children of Israel. This word, of the, this word of God, literally he said this book of the law, which means the word of God, it's all the head. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That means you say it again and again and again or repeat it. Shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Notice repeating the word is called meditating. I know a lot of people get uh, freaked out and uh, get afraid of the word meditation because they envision this Eastern religion stuff where you sit cross-legged and hum. But the whole purpose, as I understand it, and I don't know a lot about it, but what little bit I have researched and read up on. But Eastern religion meditation is about emptying your mind. Bible meditation is about speaking the word of God to fill your mind or to renew your mind with the word of God. It's not emptying anything. It's reversing by repetition. It's the way that God told Joshua he would have good success and prosper in everything that he did. I want that, don't you? Man, I want everything I do to work. I want it to work so well people will say, man, God must be with him. He can't be that smart. God seems to want that same thing. And it all comes through the word. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. You know how to engraft something in? You take a um, branch of one tree and put it on, a, on another tree to try to join them together, you have to first cut off the old branch. Then you have to peel back the bark. Now that's the tough part, peeling back the bark. I'm talking spiritually. I'm talking about engrafting the word into our hearts. You have to peel back the bark and then bind it together, stick it in there and tie it up together so that it never can separate on its own. Pretty soon it becomes part of the original tree. That's the picture that James gives us by the Holy Ghost. Receive with meekness. Lay apart the things of the world. Well, the things of the world would include the the way the world thinks, wouldn't it? Lay aside the world's way of thinking. Lay aside the circumstantial evidence in your life that's designed by the enemy to influence you to control your will. Lay aside those things and receive with meekness. Be teachable. Meekness means to be teachable. Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. Receive with meekness the repeated word, which is able to save your souls or renew your minds. Folks, spiritual development is all about the renewing of the mind. But not just to gain knowledge, to be a doer of the word. James goes further in verse 22 to say, but be doers of the word. It's not enough just to say the word to yourself over and over again. You've got to act on it. Because if you just say it and don't act on it, then you're deceiving yourself. You're saying spiritual words, but you're living a natural life. You're overriding it by the action of your will to live contrary to the word that you're speaking. There's a battle going on for your will, folks, every day of your life and always will be. 
always will be. Paul said something that I think is interesting. Paul said, I exercise myself to always have a good conscience toward God and men. Always. In other words, he's saying, I've made up my mind on this. I've exercised my will. My will is I'm always going to walk in the Spirit. I'm always going to walk in the Spirit. Paul goes on to tell us, right into the Galatians, he said, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, walking by the influence of the Word of God engrafted into your spirit through meditating, that means repeating the Word over and over and over again, will cause you to overcome the influence of your flesh to make wrong decisions and to exercise your will in the wrong way. And it's the only thing that can do it. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He can't just be talking about natural life. He's got to be talking about spiritual life and eternal life. He's saying the key to eternal life is to live by the word. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they're life. They are spirit and they're life. Every time you speak the word of God, you're speaking life. Who are you speaking it to? You're speaking it to your spirit. You're speaking it to your spirit. It's spiritual nourishment to you, the real you, the man on the inside. What effect does it have? Well, the more you say it, the more it will renew your mind. Because your mind is like a computer. It'll take whatever you put in it. It'll assimilate whatever information you provided, whether it's good information, whether it's true information, or whether it's a lie. It all comes down to what you listen to. Listen to the word, you're listening to the truth. Listen to the devil, you're listening to the lie. But your mind will take whatever it ta- whatever is put into it, whatever it's exposed to. And that's the way the devil tries to influence you to control your will. But it's up to you. One of the keys to spiritual strength is to recognize I have a choice. It's up to me. I'm not subject to whatever the devil does. He's always going to try to do his thing. But it's still up to me. Even when I stumble and fall, thank God there's no condemnation to me when I do. But it's my choice. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. You realize Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost you can live blameless. You can live sin-free, spirit, soul, and body through receiving the word of God. That almost seems out of reach, doesn't it? Because we're so used to saying, well, but we're all going to stumble and fall. After all, we're just sinners saved by grace. Folks, that's not true for me. I don't know about you. I was a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you to make the Word of God a priority in your life in these last days. Give attention to the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean read 10 chapters a day. I don't care how much of the Bible you read. I care how much you meditate in. I'd rather have you take one scripture a day and memorize it, or not memorize it, but meditate in it than to read 10 chapters and not get anything out of it. What you put into your heart is what counts, not what you read, not what your eyes look at. It's what you put into your heart that counts. Meditate in the Word every day. Take every day. Don't let one day go by without taking a scripture to meditate with you wherever you go. Amen? It'll change your life. The Bible teaches that man is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. 
The soul is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. As we control those emotions and renew our mind to the Word of God, God is able to speak to us and use us. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Well, if we don't distinguish and differentiate between spirit, soul, and body, we're never going to know the leading of God because the Bible says God leads us in a very specific way. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.